Welcome back to Polyphony. I am your announcer, Rachel, and I'm so excited for this episode today where we'll be talking about inclusion in barbershop. And we have with us Cole Kitzmiller, BHS Quartet Champ. We have Shauna Oshiro, who is from the Halo Quartet, and Katie McDonald, who is from GQ and the Relationship Manager at BHS. And here is your host for the evening, Aaron. Thanks so much, Rachel. I'd love to start, you know, I want to get to a lot of aspects of inclusion in and equity within the barbershop world. Right now, there's a lot of sort of discussion and kerfuffle about some specific attributes. I'd love to maybe start a little bit with that and begin maybe with some history. Some folks may not know about, for example, you know, Sweet Adelines that had banned women of color really all the way up until the mid-1960s. Barbershop Harmony Society admitted only white men until roughly around that same time period. And really, as recently as the last five years, BHS, in terms of full membership and full participation, remained all male. But a lot of things started to change in 2018. And so I wonder if we could talk a little bit about what happened with BHS in 2018 and kind of what's going on, what's happened since. Cole, do you want to maybe provide a little bit of that background from your perspective? Yeah. So the Barbershop Harmony Society started working on an initiative called Everyone in Harmony. And the goal of that was to see if we, what does it look like if we do full inclusion, right? And so they came to the conclusion that anyone could be a part of the society, regardless of sex or gender or race or anything like that. And so that was basically the whole idea. And doing that, they surveyed the membership and got some data points and then figured out, okay, so it looks like maybe this is where we want to go. And then following that up just a a couple years later, they figured out how to integrate that into the contest system. And that is now being revisited as of just about a month ago. So that's sort of the the rough timeline of that. And how, so you talk about kind of the, the more recent revisitation and some of the things that are going on more recently. I wonder, Katie, from your neck of the woods, where do you feel like things are today? in that regard. Wow, Aaron, you're you're starting off heavy. <laughs> <laughs> As of right now, I would say in BHS world, and I would say that's the one I'm most familiar with because I work there, it's very at right now divided by gender at the moment. Some people want what they started with in barbershop. You know, I started with an all-male chapter. That's what I want to remain. And meanwhile, like Microtech EQ, we've always felt the most included and loved by BHS because we just formed so many relationships so quickly with so many chapters, youth camps and things like that because we were hired to do stuff with them. And so they've been our family for forever to the point where everyone in Harmony happened. We're like, that makes sense. But I think that sometimes can feel like a threat to somebody who hasn't known that or seen that or been like not in the majority for a long time. So it can be a little polarizing for some people, for some members that have been there for a while, but it's also just the concept of, you know, honestly looking at it, we're just singers. Like we're going to get scored on the same exact scoring system. There's really no difference there, but to, to some people there is, and that must be really difficult for them. But yeah, it's a lot going on right now, especially with contests, like Cole said. And then with the history, like you said, like just not accepting any person of color until the mid-60s, which is just so hard for, I feel like, anyone to fully grasp that wasn't there or is younger or whatever. But so, yeah, it's a lot. But I do feel that most all of our barbershop organizations are taking some sort of effort 
towards inclusive efforts, especially I'm going to say during the pandemic as well, because we've had a minute to sit back and think about it and time to create some resources. Like I know Sweet Adeline's made a rep review for all their reps that helps people understand songs that are absolutely inappropriate on some metrics. And I know it's been utilized and there's, it's still in development and stuff, but that is nice to see for sure. It's hard to change a concept of a, well, sorry, it's, it's hard to change a society that's built on preserving the art form that is kind of old school. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Chana, do you feel like this is a a bottom up culture conflict, a top down cultural conflict, or is that not the right way to think about it? Where is this coming from? Do you feel like? Well, that's an interesting way to pose the question. I may or may not understand exactly what you are referring to, I guess, as far as where the conflict begins. Are you asking, is it coming from the leadership of BHS primarily or from the membership? Yeah. I mean, Katie talks about, you know, having some strong relationships, for example, at sort of BHS mothership. And there also, though, being some some chapter region area kind of chorus quartet reticence, reluctance, hanging on for dear life and dragging their feet. And I wonder if that's the, the dynamic that you're seeing or if you feel like there are elements woven throughout or adding some kind of insight from your perspective around that. Well, it's a it's a broad question, but I, I think that there are elements woven throughout. I, it seems to me that it appears that from the, the top, I suppose, if you're considering it as a, a hierarchy with respect to leadership, from the leadership perspective, there is the awareness that there is a of the struggle to maintain membership and certainly to grow it and needing to look to younger generations to sustain this particular community as older generations are just dying off as every generation is going to do eventually. And so with that in mind, they say, okay, well, inclusion is the best way just practically to approach this, cast a wider net, and it's a little bit more in line with the social norms in the broader sense. So in that respect, it operates as an initiative that is based on expedience, as opposed to it being necessarily like, this is really the right thing to do. And maybe they're, they probably are to a great degree, but both are present. And then when you have the, the existing membership, and especially now, and I'll ask anyone's forgiveness if this sounds ageist or if this is ignorant, but in as much as in this society, elders are not as valued as they once were. So the older we get, the less relevant and less valuable we are perceived by society at large and how, you know, the media and social media and all that presents that. So when there's something to which is like, well, I can belong to this and my identity is affirmed with this particular group of people and this is the kind of thing that makes me feel safe. And then, especially when there's this emphasis on youth and diversifying because these are the kinds of things that are popular with youth and not necessarily the ways um, with which people, uh, boomers in the golden age, you know, grew up that wasn't quite their reality. That's threatening for those reasons. I think that it presents as a disaffirmation of who they understand themselves to be. And whenever any of us are faced with that, our ego is going to kind of, you know, go on a little bit of a rampage. So in the really broad, uh, really broad stroke, I think that's what's happening. And also because leadership is so concerned with maintaining membership, they don't want to lose these same people, right? So wherever it appears to me and others that I have spoken with who are among those who identify 
identify with marginalized groups that wherever the line is drawn that crosses between expedience and risk, they don't want to cross that. So we see these really slow to move these actions and changes that could happen much quicker, it would seem. And there's, you know, a foot drag and stuff because they're wanting to have the best of both worlds. And that's not necessarily going to be attainable in the short run or even the long run. It's just a different way of thinking of it. And this is not to vilify or place blame on leadership. It is not easy to lead any organization, certainly not one of this size. And when there's all kinds of money, time and energy that's invested in all that and it's community, it's touchy territory. So I have a respect for the difficulty that comes with trying to make change with this particular kind of a population and community. And this is what I see. How then, Katie, I mean, to Shauna's point about expedience as maybe the entry point here, but it sounds like she's alluding to then the conflict becomes that there's not a lot of cultural change going on. I mean, there's not a lot of kind of underlying discussion of why this might be a capital G, capital T, good thing to do. How do you get there? I mean, is there an answer to that? Or is there a way, do you think, to try to reduce the perceived threat that people mm. see who are reluctant here? Yeah, I I would say COVID in a way was a weird, it's terrible that our groups couldn't physically sing, but it did allow this incredible pause to make people start to question, at least for BHS, the contest model, or just, do I really not like everyone in Harmony, or was I just kind of shocked at the change? And because it is a monumental change after, at that point, it was like, I think there was set 80, about 80 years of existing, and then let's invite half the world. But ultimately, I think it is a lot of conversations with people who do identify in the marginalized groups, even though I am Caucasian, I am a woman in BHS, which does make me a marginalized person. And and if I can have a lot of conversations with some legacy members and kind of explain to them like why I love barbershop and why I love BHS and hopefully my story changes their mind or just honestly, just some literal education. And it, and it may sound, no one wants to be taught something. I think no one wants that, you know, especially if this is like a deep ingrained thing for them. But I feel like if all of the marginalized people felt safe enough and comfortable enough to speak out and say, you know, why they love barbershop and why this is the place for them. This is where they choose to be. This is where they want to be. Hopefully that changes a a bunch of minds. I know that it has for me. I've talked to some close friends that are closer to my age, to be honest, and even been like, my existence in this organization, I don't think should be a threat to you, good friend. And it really has changed because we've talked about it. And it's like, why is there this bias towards like an all male, a male only experience? Like, what is that? So Yeah, I really think the storytelling and the education of just, I understand that you feel this way, but let's talk about it and figure it out and honestly get past it because there's so much, you are so much better when there is more, imagine just more talent coming in, more talent that creates better, bigger chapters that sing more, that literally spread barbershop to more people, more young kids, more people. Like how cool you've just opened up the other half of the world. That's incredible. And I just, yeah, I hope that people, as long as you have an open mind, you can really hear all that special, the the stories. Oh my gosh, stories. What's the venue for that 
discussion because it seems like right now folks of opposing viewpoints within the community are talking past each other, not necessarily engaging with each other. And I wonder how to get there. COVID times, it's been it's been Zoom calls, it's been phone calls. So really getting down to the basics of socializing, just straight up conversation. Before that, it was literally singing together. Like, there's a reason why my quartet GQ and Cole's quartet in Sin Classic became best friends because we were put at a camp together and it was like, oh, we could go off and be fine by ourselves or we could like do this eight part and it's awesome. Wow. Holy moly. We're like literally better together. Literally. And we push each other to do better. And that story alone was almost like a good, like, oh, this could work. People, you know, men and women singing together or just like friends pushing each other to improve. And then and they go off and like win two years later, but whatever. It's fine. Good job. Good job, friendo. But Yeah, I just feel that opening around to just people that don't look like you, that aren't your age. You know, I've listened to a a ton of legacy members as well with how many persons of note they have, which in DHS is the how many people you've brought into the society. Some of these gentlemen got 40. Uh, I don't know. That's incredible. How wonderful. I absolutely love that. Or just years of service that they've like given to this beautiful hobby that they all love. That's amazing. And we can honor that, have to honor that. That's awesome. And I just find it so fun when we can just like chat together about this like mutual love and realize that we all want the same thing always. So Cole, one of the areas that seems like is an intersection of both legacy members, some degree of leadership and conceivably reticence is with the AIC, with the Association of International Champions. I wonder, maybe you can talk a little bit about the role of that group and also what kind of the temperature there is from your perspective and kind of give us a backgrounder. Yeah. So I've been a part of the AIC since 2015 and it's interesting. So there's a group of people that is so, it's the composition is based entirely off of champions. So in theory, the most you could add in one year is four people. And so over a period of 80 plus years, you've got so many hundreds of people that have been a part of this. And an interesting thing too, is that the age composition of the AIC is is much older than even your average chorus, because we have so many living members. Once you're a part of the AIC, you continue to be a part of that AIC. And that's something I think is actually really special. But a lot of those people really enjoyed it probably when they won the most. And so that's sort of their golden age of barbershop. And I can understand why people within that organization would want to retain that and keep it just the way it was when they won, because obviously that was a very special moment in time for them. And while not everyone is set in that being there, the golden age, and there are a number of people that want to adapt and, and move forward and make some of those changes. But, but changing hearts and minds takes a lot of time, especially with influencers, movers and shakers like people within the AIC. So the temperature of the room is pretty interesting because you've, you've got some division. You've got people that want to remain an all-male organization organization. And then you've got people that want to include anyone. And so what do you do with that? And so the steps that have been taken thus far were a survey that was sent out about two years ago, asking the membership, what does it look like if a quartet wins? At this time, divisions, gender divisions, women's, men's and mixed. What does that look like? Do we include them on the AIC show? Do you have a minimum score to 
perform on the AIC show? Do you want women to be a part of this at all? And these are all questions that we answered as a group. And based on that data, which again, I, I want to remind everyone that this was sort of our visceral reaction. A lot of people, it hadn't even crossed our mind yet because this was such a new, a new idea. The new contest rules and regulations hadn't been laid out just yet. That would come just a few months after that. So it was all visceral for me. So I, I went in there and I took that survey and I said, okay, I landed pretty close to where I am today, but just very simply because I think that the best quartet should be a part of the Association of International Champions, full stop. Whoever sings the best should be a part of that organization. Now, some of the counter arguments, and I think there's some validity to it, and just, just so that way I give a fair shake to the other side, is very simply that when they rolled this out, the idea of continuing to barbershop the way you would like to barbershop in that you don't have to create a, a mixed chorus or a genderless if you don't want to. You can still maintain a men's chorus. You can still maintain women's chorus, mixed chorus, whatever that looks like, was afforded to all of the existing groups within the society. But that wasn't really an option for the AIC. And I understand why they would want to have that same option as everyone else. To me, the only option is to be a genderless uh, organization. But I have to give them that opportunity to choose. And so I think that it's important that the AIC maintains that position, but I just don't agree with it, I suppose. So there's a, there's a lot of discussion in the AIC board, as well as membership, just sort of casual conversations here and there. But to say that we are totally aligned as an organization is not true. There are a lot of hot topic opinions. Yeah. Well, we're going to have a lot more discussion and conversation about this after a short break. We'll be back in just a moment with Shanna Oshiro from Halo Quartet, Katie McDonald from GQ and Relationship Manager at BHS, and Cole Kitzmiller, BHS Quartet Champ from Instant Classic. Stick with us. We'll be right back. What's the Barbershop 7th Hour? It's the only place to find rare and unreleased barbershop music, along with favorites of today and yesterday. Jeremy Gover works Govertime to put each week's hour together, and they're amazing. Find the show every Thursday at 8 p.m. East, 5 p.m. West, and again Saturdays at 7 p.m. London time, 11 a.m. West, and one more time Mondays at 12 noon Tokyo time. That's Sunday night in the States. With ringing chords for days, you won't want to miss it. And we're back talking with Shauna Oshiro, Katie McDonald, and Cole Kitzmiller about inclusion in barbershop. And we'll be chatting about the future of single gender barbershop in the short term and the long term. And how does this affect the discussion about legacy culture? Here again is our host, Aaron. Thanks, Rachel. Shauna, as we come back, Cole raised in the last segment the notion of having in the competition setting to have one competition for all flavors of group. And I wonder if there's a broader implication to that around having organizations that are open to all. You know, BHS is obviously trying to kind of work in that direction with some fits and starts as they move along, but that's sort of the direction. What does that mean for the broader barbershop community, do you think? Are these gender norms starting to break down? On the whole, you know, as a society, we are coming around to collectively acknowledging that gender is not a, that the binary construct of gender as we experience it is just that, a social construct. It's not that there are not ends of the spectrum on which people can and do exist. It's just that people lie on all points of it and sometimes different points at different points in their lives. And so I can't speak too much with regard to BHS because I'm not a member of BHS. Having been with Halo Quartet as a member of, and with Epic Quartet as a member of Harmony Incorporated and some associations with Sweet Adelines as well. Halo, we're not just a quartet, we are also an organization, Halo Incorporated. And one of the aspects of inclusion and just a different kind of community that we hope 
and intend to cultivate with those that we have connected with in our long-term Raisin Real Talk series and different connections with various organizations, including BHS and Sweet Adelines, is something where, you know, these are not aspects of identity which are relevant to whether or not a person is able to belong or should be able to belong to any particular group, should be considered capable of contributing to an art form and therefore reconceptualizing even the power of music and barbershop to have meaningful impacts on society. As Katie was talking about, the social bonds that are created when we have the experiences of singing together, you know, it bypasses a lot of the icebreaker, wallbreaker things that we have to get through to build trusting relationships. You know, there's research on this that singing together builds those kinds of social bonds. And where there are so many bigger, I mean, you know, and this is not to belittle the culture of any barbershop thing, like, you know, contest is cool. We, we like all that stuff. It's fun. When Christina Llewellyn told me, you know, when I was auditioning for Epic, she's like, oh, well, you know, it's a contest of things. You know, you get up on stage, you sing songs, and if you win, you get a crown. I was like, I'm there, you know, so I'm here for that <laughs> kind of stuff. And there are so many other things happening in the world that happening to so many people that they care about. You know, these are the people that we want connected to the community and to the experience of barbershop and what have you. And it's like, well, then connect to the things that they care about. Think about how singing together can actually serve those issues that people are facing can be pathways for us to grow, not just short stops that like, oh, isn't it great when this works? You have those moments like, oh, this can work, like this could be a reality. But as soon as you walk out of those doors, let's not talk about mass vaccines, laws or anything like that. You still have all these issues. And I think that by laying aside these things that we are so used to being defining markers of our identity and our validity and our belonging, the more tools we can share with one another to build a world to which everyone can belong in their full authenticity and contribute to so much greater things. And Shauna, one of the things that you talked about there, I think that was so critical is about intentionality, about intent. And I wonder... What does that look like, do you think, in this world, in this barbershop community? What does a barbershop community look like that has intention, speaking for the moment about gender, but more broadly about LGBTQ+, about race, about just sort of having an environment that is intentional about bringing those voices into the community? And speaking to intention and what that looks like, I think that when, as it so often happens with all of us in our individual lives and like on the broader like organizational level, when we have multiple or dual multiple agendas, then there are dual multiple intentions and sometimes they're in conflict with one another. And this is not to, this is in no way to, again, like throw anybody under the bus or cast blame. Like everybody, we all kind of do the same human stuff in our different areas of life. It's simply that if the intention is for everyone to belong and to be able to contribute, then that cannot consistently coexist with the intention to sustain and maintain and build membership. They're not always going to be, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but they're not necessarily going to always be complementary. And when those things are muddied and we're not clear about what it is we're doing and why we're doing it, then 
you get it's not like conflict is necessarily is going to be avoided but things get and i'm not even a, I'm, I'm not even averse to mess necessarily in the process you can't avoid that either it's just that you're less likely to get confused if you're clear within yourself if an organization is clear with itself about this is who we are and who we want to be there's going to be times when that's going to be challenging to live up to to grow into and when we meet that challenge we need to be ready to embrace it. And that's just kind of where the clarity of intentions is going to make the difference in how we respond and what happens as a result. Yeah. Katie, if we assume, and this is a significant assumption, but maybe a potentially reasonable one, that the idea is to be intentional about getting everybody in the door, getting everyone singing together, getting everyone in harmony. What's the next step to get there? How do you help the community such that someone who is gender fluid or non-binary or feeling marginalized in one frame or another and bringing them in in a way that is welcoming to them and helps them find a home? in the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually a topic that I can put on my other role at BHS, which is <laughs> recruitment and retention. <laughs> so how do you truly, and I've had people ask me across all organizations, just how do we get more young people in? How do we get young people into our chapter? And it's a completely honest question for sure, for, for the most part. But I typically will ask like, awesome, so what are you what are you offering a young person? Are you offering songs that a young person is gonna love? Okay, is there is your rep a little older? All right, well, you're likely not going to get and and they're like shocked to hear that, like, but we're but we're kind, but we are nice, we greet them at the door, you know, all these all these things and it's that's good, but truly it's if you know, like attracts like. If you sing these types of songs, you're gonna attract the people who want to sing those types of songs. So really that's when I always ask choruses or quartets or anybody, any singing group to just say, Okay, who do we wanna be? Are we intentionally doing that? And then that will attract the people you want to attract. So that, I I just feel that that's like, sorry, I'm kind of relating it to a story of what I've kind of learned of our membership, honestly. But truly, if people are attracted to the type of music you're singing, they're going to want to sing with you. And that's okay if they aren't. That's okay. But you have to be aware that that's what you're putting out. How does that affect the discussion then about legacy culture, about, you know, those who want to focus on the preservation and not just the encouragement of barbershop quartet singing in America, who put different emphasis on one of those over the other in a way that can exclude people, that they don't feel a part of it? Right. And that's why I always just ask them to like, so so what are you putting out? What are you putting out into the world? Are you putting out something? I honestly, in a way... That is their choice. That is their choice to sing whatever songs they want as an organization. And I'm going to let them know that that's kind of how you're going to attract people. But I can't do much beyond that. If if they're like, nope, we want to sing the songs from the 40s and 50s, only the Polecats, which is like the generic songs that most barbershoppers know that are older. Then we're, we might be at an impasse and that might just be where they are. And if they want to reevaluate that, then that's awesome. If they want to try... There's all these other thoughts of, you know, you could, your chapter could sponsor a youth camp that does get kids into like more contemporary barbershop and get them to find out what it is and how cool it can be. But, you know, if they go off and they're like, oh, now I want to do this again, but then they go to the local chapter and nobody looks like them in any facet, they're, let's be honest, they're likely not going to feel comfortable enough to join. So that's just that constant struggle. So 
encouraging, you know, if we're looking for youth, that is typically and honestly a, a big one, then we need to have younger people in charge and, and creating choruses that give that product to those young people. And we need to know about it. So, you know, young choruses around the world are wonderful and, you know, are helping create the hobby. But you know what? If that's what they want, if, if that chapter really wants to sing the old songs, then cool. Then that is where they're going to be. But that's fine if that's their identity. That it's just all a big question about identity. It's, yeah, I, identity. Is So, Cole, in the conversations that you've been having with folks in the community, because I know that you connect with folks all, all across that spectrum, what are the tensions that you're identifying in that same way of sort of the idea of legacy preservation versus you know, encouragement and bringing new folks in and being more inclusive in that way? Yeah, well, the 60s and 70s and 80s were a different time and lots of different music there. And I think that there is almost a mourning of loss of what they knew and loved. And so I would say pretty much every person doesn't necessarily want to exclude anyone. They just don't change what they know and love. So the exclusion piece of this is oftentimes a byproduct of wanting to preserve what they've known and loved. So a good example of that would be a song that sings about Dixie, right? We all agree that glorifying the South is not really something that rings the bell of inclusion. It sort of does the opposite. And and how do we, as an organization, position ourselves to say, we are fully inclusive and everyone is invited to be here, but you know we're going to sing songs that maybe don't make you feel loved or welcomed or, or invited. So you've got this cognitive dissonance between what the theory of everyone in harmony is versus how it's actually playing out in real life. And so the tenets of Everyone in Harmony were decided on by the Barbershop Harmony Society and and given to, to the people saying, hey, this is our new vision. And of course, there's going to be some people that are struggling to figure out how they exist within that world, you know? And so I don't really know necessarily what the answer is. I just know that these people feel like there's been almost a hostile takeover of, of the BHS they've always known, you know? If you had asked me in 2010, would the society be open to any non-male singing people, I, I probably would say, I don't know, or I don't think so. Just very simply because that's what it's always been. Hindsight's twenty twenty, but you look forward, it's all just question marks. Until we started dialing in on that kind of around 2014, 2015, I was thinking maybe, maybe that someday this will be inclusive to all people. But a lament of the past is generally what I see in these legacy members. I understand why they feel that way, but the conclusion that they're coming to leaves out a lot of information about these groups that have been marginalized and in, in a way sort of accidentally selfish to say like, I don't want to change the way I've always known and loved this. And in, and in doing so, I also recognize that some people aren't going to like that. And that doesn't support the spirit of everyone in harmony as it's written. And so we have to at some point make these changes. Otherwise, we're just going to continue to uh, turn away wonderful people from our society just very simply because we're unwilling to make these changes necessary to make everyone feel warmly welcomed and included in the Barbershop Harmony Society. Do you feel like it's a task of attrition then, or are there opportunities for engagement and changing minds there? It sounds like, I, I guess my question is, how movable are people's positions? Well, it just depends on how long they've been a member, I find. People that have been a member for 30 years tend to be pretty solidified in their position and what they believe, but people who have been here around five years oftentimes are like, yeah, I guess I could see the value in this. So yeah, hearts and minds can be changed, but it's going to take a lot of time and very very specific effort in that area 
to be like, hey, you know, we're not taking over. We're just, we're cultivating an environment that makes everyone feel warm and welcomed in the Barbershop Harmony Society. And that happens through education. That happens through trying to find music that makes everyone feel comfortable, trying to deal with some of the interactions we have. Because in a lot of cases, men will interact differently with men than they will with women. And and sometimes it's problematic. It could be construed as as sexist or or misogynist or homophobic. Anything could could arise if you're not very intentional about that education and saying, hey, we, we can't do this anymore. And I know that you don't mean to hurt anyone's feelings, but that comment you just made might make someone feel like they're not welcomed here. And then you point to the membership statistics and say, well, we keep losing membership and I don't know why. Well, maybe we could start by making everyone feel welcomed intentionally as a society leadership and as people we need to listen. And if someone's absolutely unwilling to do that, then maybe the society is not the right one for them anymore. Shana, do you feel like there are implications down the road for some of the other organizations as well, like Harmony Inc. and Sweet Adelines and the Mixed Barbershop Harmony Association? If we assume that groups start becoming more inclusive, are there implications for some of the other players? Well, for sure. There's going to be implications and changes for broadening inclusivity for any community setting. And I think that from my perspective anyway, part of the issue is defining and really looking at what inclusion means. And this is not a dig or anything like that, the the way Cole characterized it, but you know, there's making someone feel welcome and there's making someone feel like they belong. These are two different things. I've experienced them on a regular basis. And When the experience of the community and the identity of the culture continues to be shaped and defined by a particular segment of people, then no matter how welcoming you are, people can still feel like outsiders. And it's like, you know, well, why would I invest not only my money, but my time and my energy, like all these resources into trying to build relationships with people who expect me to assimilate into theirs as opposed to actually including and learning something of mine. And yes, Every organization that I've seen has room for doing more. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk more about ways that we can broaden inclusivity in the community after the little break that we'll take just now. So stick with us. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Bring on the close harmony. Hockeville's longest running barbershop show is Shop Talk, featuring two hours each week of interviews, fun, and amazing ringing chords. Hosted by longtime singers and leaders within the barbershop community, Shop Talk includes quartets and choruses from men, women, and mixed groups. Catch new episodes of Shop Talk every Wednesday at 3 p.m. East, noon West, Sundays at noon East, 9 a.m. West, and Saturdays at 10 a.m. London time, 6 p.m. Tokyo time. It's Tags of Fun. And we're back with Katie McDonald, Cole Kitzmiller, and Shauna Oshiro. We're going to be talking about a move to broader inclusivity. And here is your host, Aaron. Thanks so much, Rachel. Katie, when we talked about gender in particular a lot thus far in this episode, but a lot of these principles and, and a lot of things, for example, that, that Shauna is talking about are applicable to other groups and other folks too. And I wonder about, you know, there's a lot of focus right now on gender within BHS, but there's work to be done in a lot of these areas, right? What are some ways additionally to think about 
for example, bringing in and making folks feel at home who are varying socioeconomic groups. You know, barbershop targets, I think, a fairly narrow segment of that largely. And I wonder how to get at that piece of it, too. That seems mm-hmm. like an element. Yeah, it's this is also an interesting question with me being on staff at BHS, because I think every organization, at the very least during COVID times, did something to assist financially. And I won't lie, I kind of was like, I wonder why... I mean, I know why we did it during COVID times, once in a lifetime, weird pandemic thing, but there is that barrier to entry. And we at BHS talk about it a lot of like, where do singers actually get most of their value? And to be honest, it's not, we we always say it's like not really at the society level. It's not at Sweet Ads, Harmony Inc., BHS level. It's honestly at their chapter level. Their chorus is what they go to and they're going to have the biggest relationship with their director and their fellow singers. That's the biggest thing. So that's like a constant, it's a model that is really different because membership organizations aren't really a thing anymore or they're so largely expensive that looking at ways to have people engage more at the chapter level versus the society level is something that I think all of the organizations are looking at since membership in general, all numbers are dwindling down for various economic worldly reasons. But yeah, I think that concept is always there of like, where do people get their value from? Where do we need to help refocus that? How do we support those chapters to make sure that all of their people feel supported and things like that? I know, I think Sweet Ads, at the very least, they cut their memberships in half. I believe during the pandemic and BHS did a pay what you can option. So there's that, but we are paying for just all these chapters to form all over the world. That is a lot. So there is a financial aspect. It's hard for sure. I know that a lot of chapters will help support youth that maybe don't have the money as well, or youth dues are significantly less, but yeah, it's definitely something that each chapter has to look out for on their own. Each society has to look out for on their own and figure out where do we put that energy? Where where are we going to put all that energy and resources? Are there other kinds of supportive things that you feel like can be done either at a society or at a chapter level to help encourage that that are potentially non-monetary? I think about things like folks that can't find childcare, and so to have childcare mm-hmm. be a, a part of you know a weekly chorus meeting or a rehearsal mm-hmm. or things that help make easier as a barrier of entry for folks who are leading yeah. pretty full lives for one reason or another. Yeah, I've seen a ton of courses do something a little weird or different. My course, for example, is Parks and we rehearse every other week because for that exact reason, our people can't do one day a week. It's either we're already in another chorus or physically can't handle a weekly commitment, but a bi-weekly commitment, yeah, we can do that. I know of a chorus that is truly family is a part of their core values where every rehearsal there is childcare. There is that whole wonderful, beautiful family element. And yet it comes back to that identity question. Who are you? Who do you want to be? Are you listening to your people? I think that's so, so huge. I, I say that to chapter leaders constantly. If you don't know what your people want, if you don't know that they're feeling stale, or bored or don't like the rep, we got to fix that first. That is the golden rule is, is your house in order. So that's the beauty too of being able to form your own barbershop chapter is you can literally do whatever you want in it, really. Uh, it's really within within reason and making sure that you're 
catering to your members and seeing who they are. So really just understanding who your people are. Very, very important. I love that. I think chapters could get so creative and people can learn from them too. Like, oh, bi-weekly? Yeah, that's way better. (laughs) Let's do that. Shana, I know that as a part of Halo Inc. and part of the some of the quartet work as well, you've got the Race and Real Talk program that you've done most recently virtually over a, a pretty long period of time going deep in terms of some of these conversations. And I wonder if there are learnings that you've had out of those conversations and those discussions that apply around helping build a home for people of color in the barbershop community? I mean, where do we go next to help that happen? Another big question. I feel like the largest takeaway that we had in our closing virtual piece that we did was true colors you know we went through a process that was like basically like a school year long beginning in september of last year and going into june of this year and first exploring like the things that keep us apart with regard to racism and examining the history of systemic racism redlining and these kinds of things in the ways that from community into the workplace that were a little bit to sort of borrow the phrase from Katie, I think it was you know could just kind of stamp from the beginning as far as you know the circles that we're going to move in and that when anyone who is complicit who are in positions of social influence, who are complicit in perpetuating these systems, it makes it impossible to build trusting relationships and these kinds of things. And the song that we processed was Ain't No Way that Aretha Franklin sang. And then after that, we did a whole process of, you know, the consequences of separation. And we sang, you know, That Lonesome Road. And it was exploring the very similar kinds of struggles that different marginalized groups especially are experiencing in their respective walks. But because we're not just collaborating, but we're not necessarily moving in solidarity with one another and considering our interests to be mutually exclusive, then the road remains loathsome and we're isolated and we can't build into one another and on one another's strengths as resources. And then the following series was Transcending Tokenism. is a combination of Transcending Tokenism and Holding Space to Share. And we worked on David Wright's arrangement of True Colors. And what came out of all of this and even examining like, you know, intersectionality, racism and all these things that it was like, what everybody wants is a place to be their authentic self that no identity marker is the definition of who a person is and that what every person is longing for is a place to which they can contribute in their full authenticity, a place that actually cares about who they are, what they offer and what they need beyond just like, oh, well, can you be a number? Can you fill up the space, you know, that we want for ourselves and that sort of thing. So what I hope answers your question is that when organizations of all sorts learn to look beyond defining their community for the sake of itself and into opportunities to serve the world around them and invite people to contribute to that service and say, oh, there's need here, you know, where I'm at. And I can tell you what we can do together to work towards that. Or here's what we're already doing and you can come. We're fine (laughs) doing what we're doing, but you can take part. Like if you want to, it not always having to be about us coming to your sort of thing. So thinking outside of the barbershop bubble and what we're all really here for, we're all here. And letting that be the core of the intention for inclusion moving forward. And it sounds like 
part of that is adding sort of an externalized purpose of the singing and not necessarily having it be for its own sake, but for supporting and broadening and advancing the broader community around us. And even, I mean, obviously, yes, there's value in community for itself. And it's just a question of like, what then does community mean? Like, what does community do? It, it serves as all kinds of resources for those who are a part to keep on thriving and surviving. And there are lots of ways to do that. And it can expand when all aspects of need, you know, Katie's talking about family. If, you know, a place that was nearby, a chorus that was like, yeah, there's childcare, you know, you come and you sit, like the opportunity to just be with other adults and have my kids play with some other kids and not be mommy, mommy, mommy. Like I would have been there for that. Like, and probably would have put up with a lot of <laughs> other stuff for at least a short amount of time just for that. That is like one particular microscopic need for community and connection that lots of mothers feel, you know, for example. And there's many other kinds that community and singing together can support. Yeah. Cole, I'm deputizing you as king of the barbershop world for just a moment. Wave your wand or scepter or whatever implement you have and tell us if you could kind of direct these moving pieces to help address some of the things we've been talking about. What do you feel like are the next steps that you would take? What's to be done? If I can wave my magic wand right now, what would I do? I think that I would, oh man, that's such a big one. It would have to be something with getting people to have honest conversations creating a space for people to be seen and be heard and not judged for doing so. Because a lot of people, they put up their defense mechanisms just simply because they feel attacked, even when it's not necessarily something that they've done, or they've done something that's inadvertently uh, offended somebody, and then they double down just very simply because they feel like they've made a mistake. And when people make mistakes, they try to save themselves. And in doing so, they shut other people out. So I think I would create a community of people that Put all of that aside and just very simply had conversations with one another and talked about, hey, I've been noticing this and it's it doesn't make me feel awesome. And they say, and person two says, I'm really sorry. I had no idea. What can I do to help you feel better in the future? You know, what can I do? What kind of behaviors can I change to make everyone feel like they belong? And I think that's the solution to our problems here. We're so caught up in the details when really we just need everyone to feel like they're seen and heard instead of trying to say like, I want to save this because it's what I've always known. It's like, what can I do to create a future that, that makes everyone feel welcomed? It's about conversation. It's about people talking to people, right? The music is what brings us together, but it's truthfully, it's people we meet in the conversations we have that keep us coming back. And until we can really start to tear down those barriers, we're going to continue to see people getting defensive or, or people feeling hurt and, and not heard and, or seen. So the, the magic wand is waved to encourage people to have open and honest conversations. So that way we can grow and heal. So absent the wand, sorry, I know you're disappointed <laughs> that I'm ripping it away from you, but absent the wand, is there a role at the society level, whether it's Sweet Ads, Harmony Inc., Barbershop, Harmony Society, MBHA, whomever, to help foster, provoke, or support those conversations and that educational cultural change, do you think? Oh, I'm sure there is. I would say that it's about being intentional about education and talking about owning up to, hey, maybe we haven't been 
as great as we've wanted to be in the past. And it's part of what we've done, but we want to be better for the future. Sort of owning up to that and creating educational resources for communities of people that don't feel heard uh, and being very intentional in that way. Not just to say like, hey, we've got, look, we're an inclusive organization. We have persons of color and women on our, our advertisements, but putting together some sort of educational piece that dives into why it's important that we're totally inclusive. So that's probably the first thing to do. And, and you know, if that is created, I don't necessarily know that everyone will watch it or listen to it or, or whatever, or read it. But, you know, changing a few hearts and minds at a time is definitely better than nothing. And I think, too, to make marginalized communities feel like they're they're truthfully heard, getting some sort of enthusiastic consent to do so, you know, instead of just slapping them on a poster. I think education is, is definitely the way to go. And I think the way that it is is laid out is probably one of the most important pieces as to make this feel like a genuine and authentic thing and not just like a way to appease people, you know, make it something that's real and meaningful. Yeah. Katie, I'll ask you the same question that I initially asked Cole, which is sort of magic wand time. What do you feel like would be the first couple of changes that you would want to see in the community right now? A bigger platform for the non-majority, anybody, wherever that community is, just for them to be able to say and honestly be asked, hey, how do you feel about this? What do you feel about the future? About like, do you feel good when you walk into your chapter? Just that alone, just asking them, I think is so hard to do for some people. And yeah, so really creating that culture of like, be sure you're checking in with your people. And then my magic wand would, yeah, be also giving them the biggest platform possible. For instance, like Steve Scott at BHS is in charge of Harmony University, and we had it virtually this year. But it was, I think, split nearly down the middle gender-wise, like people who identify as male and then people who identify as female on the faculty, which for the most part, male organization, that's pretty incredible. And he honestly, I think I remember realizing, hey, Steve, there's a lot of women here. That's incredible. And he was just like, they're the best ones to teach this subject. And I was just like, okay, thank you. That's beautiful and wonderful. So people in power having, being very intentional of giving the non-majority a platform, asking, I think we're on our way. I think we're seeing some glimmers of that starting. And as long as we keep doing it and setting that example, I'm confident that more than none will follow. So that's good, at least. Yeah. Well, if I can steal that magic wand, I will declare that this conversation for Inclusion in Barbershop has been for good. I am so grateful to all of you for taking some time to talk about this complicated yet popular topic. And this feeling that I have of gratitude for you all is really just so large. I appreciate so much your time. Thank you to Shauna Oshiro, Katie McDonald, and Cole Kitzmiller. And please tune in again next week when we will be talking with founders of their various groups and starting up new after the pandemic. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's Polyphony. See you next week.